Coming up on Studios America, it's release week for Glenn's newest book, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. As I'm sure you're aware, Glenn has spent this exciting week battling COVID-19 and, of course, the mainstream media as well. And they're having a uh, field day with all of this. Uh, we'll look at some of the worst and best moments uh, from people reacting to Glenn's sickness, which is a weird thing to be talking about. And Justin Haskins, he's a co-author of the new book uh, with Glenn Beck. Uh, he's going to join us for an extended, in-depth discussion uh, going through everything that's in the book. So let's do it now as we do The Great Reset. Stu does America. Well, Glenn has a really, really bad cold, also known as COVID-19. Now, of course, COVID has done a lot of damage in this country. We've you know, covered that extensively. Uh, but, you know, Glenn had a little battle with it as well. He's had two battles now with COVID-19. The first one. Uh, Christmas break for uh, 2020, where he really suffered. I mean, it was a rough go. He was never you know, going to the hospital, but he really suffered for multiple weeks. And he told me a couple months later that he still just didn't feel back to normal. And that's a, something we've seen over and over again for people uh, who have come down with COVID-19 and had a real struggle with it. This time he was sick in that he said it was a really bad cold, like a, one of the worst colds he's ever had. But he continued to do the show all week long. That, of course, uh, wound up manifesting itself in really weird ways because he continued to do the show. In fact, he continued to promote his book and went on Mark Levin's program and talked to him about the new book. And while he was talking to Mark, he mentioned that he was really sick. And uh, Mark asked him nicely, hey, how you doing? And he said, ah, you know, I think I'm OK. I just, you know, it's kind of going into my lungs a little bit. You're starting to get that chest, chest cough going. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm very sick, but I'll be OK. Well, this blew up all over the Internet. Uh, the stories were written like crazy and everyone had to react and get their little opinions and digs in. And it's an interesting thing that happens in a society when people start cheering on their political opponents sickness. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty amazing, pretty amazing thing to see and really should have you questioning yourself as to whether you're a good person or not. You probably know you aren't. Uh, let me give you some examples of people who are not, like Eric Swalwell. Now, you knew he was already a douche, but he tweets this. I wish Glenn a speedy, full recovery, and the same for anyone who refused vaccination because of his lies. Hmm. Fun fact, uh, Glenn Beck did not get COVID-19 after banging a Chinese spy. That's something uh, he's never done. Can't say that about everybody we're talking about in this segment, but uh, Glenn has never done that, at least to my knowledge. Who knows? He has some wild weekends. Uh, first of all, Glenn's vaccination lies. Uh, you know, look, if you look at Glenn Beck and you say, there's a guy I should take health advice from, you're an idiot. You probably deserve to die from something. I don't know what, but something. Uh, you know, Glenn gives advice that he you know, believes or tries to give his experiences. He's not giving medical advice. He gave his experience about what, he, what he, his thinking was, and he was very open and honest about it. He had COVID-19. He had natural immunity. And I don't know. We, we don't know for sure, but it sure seems like it made the second version of this a lot more mild than the first one. You'd rather have immunity acquired some other way. But if you acquired it naturally, by the way, uh, you know, maybe gives you some level of protection. And that's not bad. Uh, Daily Beast uh, tweeted, I am a fatty fat fatso, Beck concluded. So that's probably not the best thing. And I got some other issues. I will say that's the most accurate Daily Beast report I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, Brooklyn Dad 
I'm sure he's a great dad. Glenn Beck is a millionaire who could have gotten the vaccine free, but instead chose to get COVID twice with all of the complications that come with it entering his lungs. I have no sympathy. I don't know what him being a millionaire has to do with it, um, but he didn't choose to get COVID twice. Is that where we are? I mean, every look, I am a fan of the vaccines and how they've worked so far. I've told you that before. Uh, but plenty of people who are vaccinated are getting COVID. Did they choose it? What do you mean they chose to get it? He didn't choose to get COVID-19 twice. He got it. And just like other illnesses, I think we're supposed to have empathy for people like that. But no, he's, he likes lower taxes, so let's wish for his death. Uh, Amy Siskind, odd having the word kind in this particular woman's name. Glenn Beck has COVID again after refusing to get vaccinated and says, it's going into my lungs, but not to worry, he's treating himself with ivermectin. He's not treating himself with anything. He has, a doc, he has two doctors he's working with and they've given him uh, uh, several different treatments. We'll get into some of those here in a second. Uh, but no, he's not treating himself. John Cooper tweeted, Glenn Beck, who said he didn't need the vaccine, is very sick with COVID. What do you say to him? He tweeted while hoping for death threats and wishes from uh, his idiotic followers. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, he's not very sick. Let's be honest about it. I mean, he's sick. I mean, very sick. You know, it used to be that like, oh, I'm so sick. Y- used to mean something different than I guess it does now. Uh, you know, he was very, he had a very bad cold is what he described it as himself. By the way, in the interview that no one even watched, uh, David Weissman, um, I have no empathy for Glenn Beck getting COVID-19 again. I hope his supporters will see that he's a complete moron and get vaccinated. Well, uh, I never thought the left had empathy, but they did claim it. And I think we're seeing how true that was. Although it wasn't all uh, bad. CJ Pearson tweeted, liberals dunking on Glenn Beck for catching COVID twice and being unvaccinated doesn't really add up when there are literally vaccinated people catching COVID twice. That's very true. Being Libertarian says, I hope Glenn Beck gets better soon. Like I hope Spike Cohen gets better soon. Like I hope AOC gets better soon. It's the proper response to someone who is under the weather. Yes. Yes. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, Here's uh, hoping this Joe Pags. uh, Here's hoping Glenn Beck kicks COVID's ass again. Anyone pushing hate on him for this disgusting disease we're uh, we're victimized with needs to get a life. Get well, Glenn. Thank you, Joe. That's very cool. That's how you're supposed to react to people. I don't wish bad things on AOC for having COVID. Neither should you. If you do, you're doing you're doing life wrong. Okay, you're doing life wrong if you're wishing for someone else to be sick with something. That's not the right way to do it. Uh, Newsweek had a headline. Glenn Beck says he's taking ivermectin for second COVID bout. That's a little disturbing. Salon Glenn Beck said he didn't need the vaccine. Now he's very sick with COVID and taking ivermectin. One thing a lot of these reports seem to uh, miss is that, you know, they keep saying he got it twice. He chose to get it twice. The first time he got it, vaccines weren't even available to the public. So that's not really a there's not no real, no real conversation. And to say he's anti-vax, I, mean, I was with him in a meeting where they said he was going to have to get the vaccine to go over. And, um, you know, when he was rescuing people from Afghanistan, um, I'm sure all these people that tweeted here did the same thing. Uh, but yeah, he was willing to get it if he needed to get it to go over there. And he's not anti-vax. He just you know, thought he had enough protection. Uh, it's starting to go in my lungs. Unvaxed. Glenn Beck says he's got COVID-19 again. Business insider Glenn Beck says he's caught COVID again and it's getting into my lungs. Now, Glenn did kind of say that, but like that sounds like he's going on a ventilator. He's not he's got a cold. He's still doing the show every day. 
I want to get this part of it, though. This is from the Business Insider. Beck said he was taking the antiparasitic drug, ivermectin, as well as hydroxychloroquine and fluvoxamine. The drugs, which have been championed by anti-vaccine activists and skeptics, have not been proven effective against COVID-19 and haven't been approved for federal regulators uh, for use to treat this disease. What I found interesting about this is, is this is how this stuff starts. This is how uh, a medicine becomes some cultural battle. Now, you've heard a lot about ivermectin and, and hydroxychloroquine. Been covered you know, far too much, and then we don't need to go into that again. But you probably haven't heard all that much about fluvoxamine. I have heard about fluvoxamine. You know who I heard it from? Not anti-vax skeptics, but Vox, the liberal website. Here's their report on this is how a cheap antidepressant emerged as a promising COVID-19 treatment was the headline. The quote, parents, uh, patients given fluvoxamine within a few days after testing positive for COVID-19 were 31% less likely to end up hospitalized and similarly less likely to end up on a ventilator. What makes the result potentially such a big deal is that fluvoxamine is inexpensive and has already been FDA approved for obsessive compulsive disorder. So any doctor can prescribe it for COVID-19 using their clinical judgment, which is called off-label prescribing. And this is coming from a liberal website. This is not some, you know, thing you're buying. It's not horse dewormer or anything like that. This is uh, what was thought of as a promising medication. Now it's included in the anti-vax thing because Glenn Beck said it. That's an insane way to run a civilization and an insane way to run your healthcare system. But he's got a new book out and people need to find ways to write about him. So I guess that's what you do. Uh, We're going to talk to the co-author of the book, Justin Haskins, here in just a second. Do you like to eat? I bet you do. If you watch this show, you can't, I feel like you have to like to eat. Built Bar is here to save the day if you do, because they can give you wonderful things like coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, great flavors. They have tons of new stuff that comes out all the time. And it's low calorie, high in uh, fiber, low in sugar, high in protein, low in net carbs. Basically, you're going to love these things, and they're healthy. Built.com is the place to go to get uh, Built Bars. Uh, You can use the promo code STU15. You get 15% off your first order. The promo code is STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. It's Built.com. Promo code STU15. So we mentioned Glenn Beck and uh, how everyone wants him to be dead. And that would be a very good thing, I think, for my next guest. Justin Haskins is here. He's, of course, the editorial director for the Heartland Institute, but co-author as well for Glenn Beck of the new book, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of the 21st Century Fascism. It's available wherever you get your books. It's available at also the website, glennbecksbook.com. Justin, welcome to the program. Hi, Stu. Great to be with you again. Now, if if Glenn died, you'd be the only living author of this book. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. You're making you're making a very good appeal. Mm. I've noticed this is like a theme with you, Glenn dying. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. are you the one who started that Twitter, yeah. that crazy Twitter thing? I may have uh, been Helped. importing okay. COVID into his home over the past few weeks. Didn't work out, <laughs> yeah. but I, I tried. I tried, America. Yeah. What can I do? Um, I want to talk to you about the book sure. and, and go through this. I know we've we've talked about it a little bit in the past. We talked about it on radio. You've been all over the place on the blaze uh, this week to, to kind of brief people. But I want to see if we could take a little extended look and kind of go through this piece by piece. Um, the, it's a great book, by the way, and it is uh, the number one book on all of Amazon. Congratulations. Um, it's It's been a big deal. And this is uh, I think it's an important thing. You, I think you've hit a really important theme at the right time. Um, so the book starts with sort of a 
It's sort of depressing, frankly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a vision <laughs> of the future and what the future may very well look like uh, under the Great Reset. Uh, can you kind of walk people through what, why this book is important? Because this right. is what they might be facing. Right. So all the evidence that we have, literally all the evidence we have, points in the direction of the world being transformed into one where wealth and power is further consolidated than it already is in the hands of relatively few people. And those people run corporations, the largest corporations in the world, banks, financial institutions, international institutions like the United Nations and other things, uh, central banks, that these people are the ones who are consolidating wealth and power, that they will be making the decisions in your life, that it's going to be extremely difficult for you to buy the products and the services that you can, you can buy now easily. It's going to be very hard for you to own property. Um, and that this direction is, is it's not uh, just sort of a natural development of the free market or something, but mm -hmm. it's actually part of an organized movement by people in, um, you know, sort of the elite class globally, not just the United States, but in Europe as well, and in parts of Central America and South America, to try to further consolidate that power and wealth. And that uh, the world is changing for a reason, and it's all part of this concept of the Great Reset, pushing the reset button on capitalism. And that whole idea of the Great Reset, that theme, uh, which was launched by the World Economic Forum. Those are the people that put on Davos every single year uh, in mid-2020. This has been going on for a long time. The, the sort of marketing slogan, the Great Reset, is new, mm -hmm. but the movement has been happening behind the scenes for a very, very long time, and they've made lots of inroads. And if it wasn't for the fact that, or if it weren't for the fact that they put out this really crazy, awful slogan, the Great Reset, I'm not sure that I would have ever stumbled upon what was really going on. Uh, it was so creepy, it forced me to really pay attention to what they were doing. And that's when we started, the more we started unraveling it, the, the, the crazier it got. All right, so before we get into, because you, you, you spent some time in the book um, talking about uh, the mechanisms, the the uh, motivation to get to the Great Reset, the, the things they're using to get there, yep. how they're doing it, what they're building, and I want to get into all that. But before we do, separate this, your book and Glenn's book, The Great Reset, from the conspiracy theory, The Great Reset. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, conservatives talk about things, the media calls them conspiracy theories, they're not conspiracy theories, and that's the end of it. It's more complicated here, I think. There really is a conspiracy theory around the Great Reset. <laughs> yeah. It's just not what you wrote about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are a lot of people. Uh, there is actually a lot of misinformation about the Great Reset. I think that's a fair point. Mm -hmm. um, two of the biggest things that come up all the time, and there's a bunch, but the two biggest ones are, number one, was the, vax, was, was the COVID-19 pandemic deliberately released into society mm. by these elites who are now taking advantage of it? Right. Uh, this is something that a lot of people believe, um, and they have lumped it under this idea of the Great Reset, isn't it so convenient that all these people are benefiting off of off of the, the pandemic. Well, there's no doubt whatsoever that the pandemic is the golden opportunity. That's a direct quote from some of the people involved in the Great Reset, a golden opportunity for them to remake the world. But there's no evidence that we could find whatsoever mm -hmm. that there was the the the, uh, the that COVID nineteen was released into the public by these people that anything like that right. occurred. It's just that they were looking for an opportunity to push the reset button on the economy 
and on society, and that they've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, as you know, climate change is something that they've been, you know, screaming about for decades, talking right. about we're all about to die from climate change, right. right? And so that's absolutely one of the things that the same exact people have been using as a justification to remake the world for a long time. It just didn't work quite as well as COVID-19. Yeah, the, you know, and, and, uh, and you, you go into both of those things uh, in the book, and it, it strikes me as they have there's like a, a slow burn effect with climate change. You know, it's it's one of those things that they've been trying to convince people for a very long time. It's always been at the lowest levels of priority for voters. It's never been anything that's excited, anything but, you know, sort of an AOC fringe of the left. Uh, the COVID's totally different, though. I mean, COVID, you know, some of the things that were done, um, you know, were, it doesn't mean that everything that was done in the United States was part of the Great Reset. It was really more of a, of a, a wake-up call to them. You, you go. You, you spend some time in the book talking about um, uh, uh, Mayor of uh, Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, mm -hmm. um, and his quote that I've quoted this way every yep. single time I've said it: "Never let a crisis go to waste." That's actually not the quote. Right. And you refresh my memory on this, and you go through this part uh, of the quote where he says, "Never let a serious crisis go to waste," and it needs to be a crisis that can help both that will help both parties. Yep. Uh, move uh, into serious change. Can you kind of, why is that important? Yeah, it's important because I think people have a tendency to to just sort of anytime something happens, it's like, well, yeah, they're trying to take advantage of it. And, and yeah, there is some truth to that, right? On a day-to-day -day basis, the news cycle, politicians are always trying to take advantage of whatever is happening in the mm -hmm. news. But it's the serious crises those are the things that they wait for eagerly because that's the big transformative changes. For the most part, our world doesn't really change quickly all that often. Yeah. It, it takes these big moments in history. That's where you see these transformative changes of society that happen. And COVID-19 was that opportunity that they've been waiting for for a really, really long time. Now, as the book points out, they still hope climate change is that thing, mm -hmm. the longer term justification for it. And they're very, very open about that. But they needed something that was so serious and so severe and deadly and scary to sort of kickstart this thing. And that's what COVID-19 was. It, g it gave them, I mean, the, they blew up the global economy on purpose. I mean, they, people always talk about the pandemic and, you know, the economic fallout from the pandemic. No, we don't really know what the economic fallout from the pandemic is. It's the reaction to the pandemic that mm -hmm. we all talk about. It's when they closed all these businesses down that destroying the economy gave them the opportunity in their minds to try to rebuild it in a different way. That's this whole concept of build back better that Joe Biden is always blathering about. And people who um, all over the world are using that same phrase, build back better, because the idea was we destroyed everything. Now let's build it back better than we had it before. So the climate change is the longer term the, the longer term uh, justification for how they're going to build back society. The, the whole idea here is um, we, this was never sustainable. Our economy was never on a sustainable path. We had to rebuild everything. We had all these big, huge problems that needed uh, to be uh, that needed to be addressed, and we needed to have this great reset. We've needed it for a long time, mm -hmm. but this was our opportunity to do it because people are so resistant to change normally. But now 
change was forced upon them, and we have this great opportunity to make that happen. Uh, a lot of the stuff you're talking about, you have quotes in here directly mm -hmm. from the people's mouths explaining exactly what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. And you go to great lengths. There's hundreds of uh, footnotes that kind of cite exactly where these things came from, who said them, here's the full quote, go, watch, go here for full context. Like, you're not trying to hide any of this. It, but you get to the sense that they aren't either. And as you read this, I wondered why. Like, why are they so overt and out there telling everyone? Because they have to know a good chunk of the world is not going to want to go along with us. Yeah, that's a great question. I've asked that question to myself many, many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Mm. The, the weird thing about it is, you know, after this happened, um, I would say uh, six months or so after the Great Reset slogan came out, they had these big, they had several big events, world leaders from all over the place using this phrase, the Great Reset. They had videos, they had articles posted all over the World Economic Forum. They had an entire website dedicated entire to, entirely to this. They had uh, Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World mm -hmm. Economic Forum, sort of the face of the Great Reset, wrote a book called The Great Reset. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> we did not steal it from him or anything right. like that for writing this book. But, um, you know, they were very open about it. And then uh, January 2021, so a year ago, uh, they had this event that was uh, a virtual event with all these big world leaders. Um, it was kind of a replacement for Davos because they had canceled that. And at it, they put out this absolutely incredible video. I wish I had <laughs> provided it to you. You've got to track this video down. Uh, basically, semi-apologizing for using the phrase, the Great Reset, acknowledging that it had transformed into this, you know, conspiracy theory thing that they're trying to control the world. And they basically admitted they made a huge blunder and then they stopped using the Great Reset. Really? They don't really use the Great Reset anymore. They've mm. given up on that. They've now called it Davos Agenda. They have a Davos Manifesto that they talk about all the time because mm. there's nothing weird about Manifesto or, anything, <laughs> oh, or Davos. It. Everybody loves a good manifesto. <laughs> Who doesn't love Davos <laughs> and manifestos? But that's that's what they've transitioned to. They're tr they've tried to run away from the Great Reset as a phrase because they know how bad this has been for them as a PR move. Um, and so why did they do this? Why were they so open about it? I, I think it's arrogance. I think the world was in such a bad place that they felt like, People are desperate. They will do anything. We are wandering in the desert here, right. and we're the only ones with water. So the, they will do whatever we want. Um, and I think they thought the world was ready for a strong man. That's what I think. Mm. And that they were going to be that strong uh, support, that pillar that we could all count on in a crisis. And if we present ourselves as, you know what, this is our opportunity, big optimistic changes, we can transform the world. I think what they didn't count on is that most people did not want the world to be transformed, at least in America, um, things were going pretty well, actually, before the pandemic hit. And for most people, life was actually very good. We mm -hmm. had historically low unemployment. I mean, it wasn't perfect or anything of like course, that, but yeah. certainly in the history of, of the past 20 or 30 years, it wasn't a low point in American history. Um, and so I think they underestimated that. And they also underestimated how, uh, how much a lot of people value individual freedom how much they don't want to hand that over to mm. how little they trust elites and Davos. And, but it doesn't surprise me. These people hang out together. They live in a different universe than you or I live in. And they think that people were going to be very receptive to these ideas. And so they put it out there as, as you know, this is the solution. You can count on us. And it just backfired horribly. Is there a part of this for them 
that is a, a good motivation. Does do some of them see this as like, we are going to take control of these things and we will, we will make it better for all of these people. Well, you know, maybe they don't know what they want and we're going to make sure that they, they live a better life that we can kind of guide. Without a doubt. It is. These okay. people have the biggest yeah. savior complexes in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now they're all getting rich off yeah. of it too. Well, of course. So that's that got to be part of it. But if you can get filthy rich and be the savior of the world mm. at the same time, <laughs> why not do it, right? Then that's I, don't kind good, of, I don't have big enough goals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the attitude that these people have yeah. is it's just, you know, we can save the world and we can get rich in the process and everyone will be better off for it. And I think they truly do believe that. I mean, Klaus Schwab especially, now some of them are just looking to get rich. Mm. I have no doubt about that. But Klaus Schwab especially, and some of these people who are involved heavily in the World Economic Forum, who are the heads of various uh, councils that they have, special projects, these people are working a lot on these different things. They're devoting a lot of their time to it. And I don't think they're making a whole lot of money off of those specific endeavors. I really do believe that they think they are changing the world. I also think they feel a little guilty about the fact that they are, in some cases, you know, they have hundreds of millions of dollars right. as individuals or even billionaires or on the guilt. board of directors. Yeah. yeah, so for no. them, it's like, well, this is my way of giving back, right. you know, right? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, thanks. <laughs> right? Keep I'm going to be uh, the, you know, <laughs> on the board of directors of the World Economic Forum, and I'm going to transform the world. You're welcome, everyone. And I, I do think that that attitude is real. I think they, they think that they're making the world a better place. I believe the great philosophers, Tears for Fears, uh, talked about everybody <laughs> wanting to rule the world. And it's true. I think everybody, you know, there's, there's a, it's a fantasy. There's almost a fantasy league aspect to this. Like, what yeah. if I was fantasy league king and I could do all these things that yeah. I want? We're gonna get into more with Justin Haskins here in just a minute. The book is The Great Reset: uh, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. Back in a second. We are back with Justin Haskins uh, from the Heartland Institute, as well as co-author of the new book, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. Make sure to get your copy today if you can find one. They're not so easy to find these days. Um, Justin, let's go to uh, modern monetary theory. This is sort of the economic backbone that The Great Reset is built on. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you think of The Great Reset as a machine designed to try to uh, transform the economy and society, it doesn't, the machine doesn't operate without fuel. The fuel is modern monetary theory. And what modern monetary theory is essentially is it, it used to be a fringe economic theory that yeah. very few economists believed in. Uh, the idea is you can, if you are a country that controls your own currency, you can print as much money as you need to pay for anything that you want um, without any regard for national debt until you start seeing inflation. And then you control inflation through a variety of price control measures and regulations and taxes help take some of the money out of the economy to help cool the inflation down. But that basically national debt doesn't matter. Debt deficits don't matter. You can spend as much money as you possibly want. Now, this used to be an insane idea. Yeah, Barack it still is an insane it, idea. Well, it is still, yeah, yeah, that's okay, true. Yeah. It's still insane. <laughs> Barack Obama once said that the national debt amassed by the George W. Bush administration was unpatriotic, right. okay? Yeah. Now we live in a world where we are spending trillions over, trillion, we're running trillion dollar deficits is like nothing now, mm -hmm. right? If we only run a trillion dollar deficit, that's, that's a good year for us these days. That's what we were supposed to do pre-pandemic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And so we're running massive, massive de deficits. We're basically operating under a modern monetary theory environment at this very moment. Mm -hmm. And in fact, 
when and this was under uh, uh, President Trump as well as President Biden, right? Mm-hmm. Spending massive amounts of money, trillions more than we take in. And when did people stop and say, "Boy, maybe we shouldn't be printing so much money"? When the inflation started happening, yeah, right? Then people started worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's modern monetary theory. The reason why that matters so much to the Great Reset is a really underrated part of it. Is because the whole system depends on lots of cash flowing into the financial sector and through the central banks into the banking system and then into financial institutions and then into corporations. This is why you're seeing the stock market rise dramatically, why it's been going up so much, even in the midst of the pandemic. We saw that happening mm-hmm. when everything was shutting down. The stock yeah. market kept going up. Strange. Right. Why did we see uh, the average cost of a, of an, of a house go up by $70,000 or more over the past year and a half in the middle of a pandemic, millions of people losing their jobs, the cost of cars, mm. a new cars and used cars dramatically going up by 20, 30, 40% in some cases. Why is that happening when we have millions of people out of jobs? That's not from market economics. None of those things happen in a market economy. They happen when you flood the economy with trillions and trillions of dollars. And when people think of that money flowing into the economy, they think of government spending. And that's been part of it. We sent people checks in the mail who didn't lose their jobs, uh, thousands of dollars. Why? Why did we do that? Uh, mm-hmm. We stopped making people pay their student loan bills who didn't lose their jobs. They still aren't paying their student loan bills. People haven't paid student loan bills in almost two years. Why did we do that if they didn't lose their jobs? Uh, this was all part of a modern monetary theory you know, mindset. But what it did was it pumped the economy full of all this extra cash. Most of that stayed with the elites at the top, banking and financial institutions. Um, But uh, a lot of the money that went into the economy happened just from the Fed printing the money and putting it in. It didn't Mm. even come from a government program. More money entered into the economy that way than through some sort of government spending program. So all of that money floated around the top. It got circulated amongst elites, went into the hands of corporations. And then what they realized was, okay, well, if we're going to be giving you all this money, printing it and just giving it to corporations, just giving it to banks and financial institutions, then you guys have to play by our rules. And so this is how the money gets tied into all of these things happening with ESG scores and social credit systems and all of that. Why are corporations willing to play ball with this? Seems like sort of a collectivist uh, plan because they're all getting rich off of it. And that's why modern monetary theory is so important to this whole system. Um, I want to read this quote. This is from uh, L. Randall Ray. Uh, He's an MMT economist. Yep. Uh, Today's progressives won't fall into the trap of how are you going to pay for it through a budget authorization. Uncle Sam can afford it without the help of the rich. And by the way, they're going to tax you anyway because you've got too much, too much income, too much wealth, too much power. What will we do with the tax revenue? Burn it. Uncle Sam doesn't need your money. (laughs) That's right. That's really the attitude here. I mean, you know, the the, the taxes, instead of becoming a a punishment or even a, um, uh, you know, a way to pay for things, winds up being this sort of like, uh, almost like revenge against people yeah. who, who do too well. Um, I want to go to, though, you mentioned ESG scores, environmental, social, and governance, yep. right? E- e- ESG, a score you get that basically quantifies if you're a good boy or a bad boy. Yep. Um, and, you know, Europe is doing a lot of this uh, outside of our borders. And that's the thing about the Great Reset. It's not like some of the stuff we've talked about before where we're saying, oh, gosh, this policy from AOC is bonkers. 
This can happen in Europe and still affect us and is affecting us right now. Yeah, exactly. So ESG systems apply to corporations, especially that's the main in businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea behind it is to create this system, that whole new system for evaluating businesses. Literally, some of them provide it's a numerical system. In other cases, it's letter grades or things like that. The idea is to figure out who the good companies are and who the bad companies are based on dozens of metrics that elites have come up with on their own to, to evaluate each other. And some of it can be as simple as, you know, uh, do you have a, uh, the right amount of diversity in your board of directors? Do you have enough female managers in your company? How much water are you using in your supply chain? There are dozens of these kinds mm-hmm. of metrics that they're using, right, that fall into one of those ESG categories. Well, in Europe, they're actually trying to make this the law. So in the United States, it's all voluntary. And in Europe right now, it's all voluntary. These corporations are all doing it because they want to make sure they're on the right side of history. They right, want to make right. sure they don't get punished <laughs> in the future, right? Yeah. They're all playing ball. But in Europe, they actually want to make a European Union um, a, a law that would apply to every com- uh, country in the European Union, every large company that operates within those countries, and every single company that is in the value chain, which is kind of like an expanded idea of the supply chain, for all of the companies operating in the European Union. So if you're a paper supplier in you know, America and you provide paper to a company that's in the European Union, then you would technically be required to comply with various aspects of this ESG system that they want to build in the European Union. If you're Coca-Cola and you sell Coca-Cola in the European Union, it doesn't matter if you're an American company, you're going to have to comply with this ESG system that they're building right. in the European Union. And this, in this case, it would be actually government-imposed ESG scores. They would determine what the ESG scores are. And if you're not compliant, every country in the European Union would have the ability to punish you with fines or various other right. things. So you're gonna have to comply with this if you're an American company doing business with any European company. And the value chain aspect of it is so important because you could just be a financial services company. You could be an accountant company that just does accounting for some, some business in the right. European Union and you would have to comply with the European Union's ESG rating systems. This has already passed the European Parliament It's already been approved by them. Um, The next step is the European Commission. They have to formally introduce it and pass it. But because it overwhelmingly passed in the European Parliament, everyone believes this is inevitable for the European Commission. And so it's going to become the law and American companies are going to comply with it. And once they start complying with it to to, uh, make sure they're in line with the rules in in Europe, why would they not just do that here in the United States too? You know, they have different yeah. rules for different aspects of the company and stuff like that. Of course not. They're just they're just going to do it. They're just going to do it. It's a way, essentially, of Europe making our laws. And we see this with California all the time. When yeah. California passes some regulation, and mm-hmm. every single company in America yeah, car follows. companies exactly. was a big one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the same thing will happen, except that it will be if it's a law in Europe, it will be a law here too. Uh, I, I, there was a story that came out a couple of weeks ago that um, you know nuclear power has obviously been something that the right has favored, the left, for whatever reason, has said <laughs> no to. And over time, I think the left has opened its eyes a little bit to nuclear power and said, eh, maybe this does need to be part of the solution. And these ESG scores factor in uh, nuclear power as a negative, as a, <laughs> because they, that old environmentalist view that it's bad. And so these countries are now going uh, to the boards that come up with these ESG scores and saying, hey, we want you now to change uh, nuclear power into a good thing so that we can start doing it. Because we can't do it unless you mark it as a good thing on our ESG score. And what strikes me as so crazy about that is 
Number one, the, the, the science of nuclear power doesn't change there. It's just some dumb algorithm that's now approving it. And secondarily, that these countries have to go beg for approval from companies and organizations so that they can come up with their own power uh, structure is really a terrifying look at the future, I think. It, it is. And think about the degree of cronyism that would exist oh my under this kind of a model, right? Because all the people writing the standards have investments in these various things. They already have made their decisions yeah. long term about what they're doing. I mean, the amount of corruption that already exists surrounding this is massive. There's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars behind it. There's groups like Principles for Responsible Investment, which have been trying to get people to go along with this whole ESG and sustainable investment thing for a long, long time, going mm -hmm. back over 10 years. Uh, they have $130 trillion, trillion with a T, behind principles for responsible investment. That's assets under management for all these different groups, countries, pension funds, BlackRock, groups like that that have all signed up for this principles of responsible investment. When you have that kind of money behind it, and, and on their website, you can go to their website right now and you'll see them talk about how, hey, we're all gonna make money off of this green investment stuff. So if you just buy into it, you're gonna make money on it because governments are gonna mandate it and government's gonna pour lots of money in it. And central banks are gonna support us. So sign up for this. Support ESG scores, invest in ESG investments, and we're going to make a ton of money off of this. But when you have $130 trillion behind something, it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> unless, yeah, yeah. You, unless you have a really good plan to stop it, it's going to happen. Well, this is, this is, it's interesting you bring that up because $130 trillion <laughs> seems overwhelming. It seems impossible to stop. And I will say, I, uh, uh, usually there's lots of copies of Glenn's book kind of hanging around when we, when we do this. But of course, with all the supply chain stuff, there really wasn't. So I didn't start reading this book until this week. And with, all the, with everyone in the entire uh, office being out for COVID, you know, I have not finished it yet. Yep. I have read everything up until the solutions <laughs> chapter. I did not start the solutions chapter yet. And I will say up until this point, I, if I stop right now, I'm very depressed. Yeah. Uh, what I see is a hundred and thirty yeah. trillion dollar monster that I can't defeat. Yep. So the last chapter you go into derailing mm -hmm. the Great Reset. Give us a preview. How do you derail the Great Reset? Right. Well, I think the most important thing, which is something that Glenn's talked about a lot, is we need to reorient our communities. We need to change our mindset about everything. Uh, whether you're uh, on the left or on the right, it doesn't really matter. You need to start thinking locally, buying locally, banking locally, divesting yourself from all of these businesses and banks and financial institutions. It's, I, it's extremely hard yeah. to do. It's really easy to buy from Amazon. I buy from Amazon all the time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and you, you wrote know? the book. Exactly. <laughs> so you have to, a lot of people bought the book on Amazon. So yeah. we, we have to change our mindset and start supporting local businesses because if we remove ourselves from these gigantic conglomerates, from these big international institutions, from these banks, then they don't have power over you anymore. The whole system depends on you being involved in it. They decide what you can buy and what you can't. They decide what kinds of businesses they'll, they will provide loans to or financial services to. Um, but if you remove yourself from that, that's a huge part of it. But there are other things too. Um, we can support politicians who are going to put regulations in place, not just at the federal level, but also at the state level mm. that will not allow financial institutions to discriminate against industries and businesses based on things like ESG scores. I literally got an email just before I came on the show, so I haven't told you about this yet, um, that there's a bill being proposed in New Hampshire 
that is going to make it illegal for if it passes for any bank doing business in New Hampshire to use ESG scores as a mm. determination of whether they're going to provide you with financial services. They're, you have to base it on financial considerations if it's a legal business. You can't discriminate based on what kind of business they're in. If states pass this all over, if we had a law like this in Texas and we had a law like this in Florida and big states, big powerful states had laws like this, it would be very hard for these banks to just ignore that and say, well, I guess we're not going to do business in Texas anymore or right. Florida. You can't do that. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So there's things we can do at the state level and the federal level. There's federal regulations we can pass that would make this impossible throughout the whole country. Uh, the Trump administration actually did put a regulation in place, a federal lo- regulation. Uh, but the first thing the Biden administration did when they came in was kill it. It was literally one of the first things mm-hmm. that they did. And that's very telling, I think. Um, so the Biden administration on basically day one came in and said, no, we're going to let financial institutions discriminate against businesses they don't like, even if they're totally illegal. We don't care. We're going to let them do that. That's the whole ESG model depends on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting rid of modern monetary theory. If we had a balanced budget amendment, if we had a law, federal Mm -hmm. law that made uh, impossible for us to have uh, these massive deficits, even if we could just slow the rise of deficits, uh, control it in some way, that would also make this extremely difficult. Well, uh, the book goes into a, a bunch of solutions. Yeah. Uh, it also has how the machinery is built, what types of things they're going to use to further this. And there's a whole chapter on Joe Biden uh, as well and yeah. how he's involved in this. Uh, and it kind of outlines what the world looks like. Uh, it really has the entire story here. Uh, the book is The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. You can get it uh, from any globalist Internet company that sells books uh, <laughs> owned by Jeff Bezos. Uh, but you can I mean, it's number one on Amazon. It's number one on Barnes and Noble. It's it's a huge book. And it's the type of thing that people need to understand now, because if you wait, I mean, you outline this in the book. There's just not a lot, not, not any time to wait. You, you need to know this stuff now and start pushing back right now. That's right. We got to push back now or we're going to lose our country. We're going to lose Western civilization. Mm. Justin, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Stu. We talked about a little bit about how during a pandemic, all the home prices went up like crazy, which is kind of weird, right? I, kind of the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. Real Estate Agents I Trust is Glenn's company that he started years ago to try to find the best real estate agent in your area. And it's one of these things where if you, um, if you kind of go down this road and you don't have someone representing you, you can make a huge mistake. And Buying a home or selling a home could be the largest financial transaction of your life. You need someone who understands the market, who understands what repairs you should do, who understands uh, to kind of talk you off the ledge when you're thinking, I'm going I'm to bid $30,000 over asking price. Maybe that's not a good idea for this particular home. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the best agent in your area. Go there now and get more information. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Please subscribe to this podcast. I'll wait. Thank you. I appreciate that. By the way, rate and review the podcast while you're there. Uh, Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. I'll wait. Not four. 
Thank you. Five stars. I appreciate it. Uh, also, you can watch the show on YouTube. That You can subscribe there. Click the little bell. It's lots of fun. Clicking a bell is always uh, a lot of fun. I'm sure you know that. You can watch every episode of the show right there and comment during the show. Uh, from yesterday's show, this one comes in. Paul Bryan is a great guest. He's interesting, informative, and entertaining. Uh, you always have such great guests and often people I didn't know before. Yeah, Paul's a great dude. Uh, and very funny as well. Very funny. Well, loves his cars. Um, those numbers, half of them, this is talking about inflation. Uh, those numbers, all of them, are effing staggering. I'm in Alberta, and the cost and availability are hitting us, too. Thanks to Stu for breaking down the numbers for us. My brain has a hard time wrapping itself around understanding them. No one likes numbers, which I think is why people don't like to talk to me all that often. Uh, but it could be some other stuff, too, you know? I can't really rule that out. Uh, uh, Agile Monk writes, Stu is both sarcastic and amazingly sardonic. A true hero for us all. Is that last part being sarcastic? Now I'm I'm a little self-conscious on this. By the way, yesterday we told you about, uh, I think it was a 90% drop in ratings for CNN, which seems a little over the top. I mean, that's a big drop, 90%. Uh, But we wanted to kind of check in and see what they were covering today. Uh, Maybe we could help them determine what the reasoning is for the ratings being down so much. And we found this story, and I think this might explain it. This is a news story, front page news story on CNN.com today. Nothing going on in the world except this. Meryl Streep watches The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It's uh, CNN.com. You can check that out if you want to get all the details. They have all the details of of her watching a show. And you can get that at CNN.com. All the profits from StuDoesMerch.com, the merch from the program, go to Feeding My Children. So if you don't buy something there, my children will starve. That's on you. StuDoesMerch.com is the place to go. Also subscribe, BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu because that's how they know you like this stupid show. We'll see you Monday.